Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. And I pray today they would do that, and we know you're faithful. You tell us that we will be born again and forever yours. And I pray if there be an, a, a believer today that's wayward, that's not faithful, or there's hidden sin, I pray they would rededicate, I pray they would repent and rededicate their life to you. And I pray all of this in Christ's wonderful heavenly name, and all of God's people said, Amen. We'll be getting to a, a, a word that really is in the title uh, of the message today. And this word of transformation, being transformed. Um, and dealing with this thought of being freed or freedom. In Christ, we let off with this, you call this a series, I guess. That in Christ, we have been freed. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, we are free indeed. And he, he keeps us in that freed position in Christ Jesus. But what are we freed to? Right? We are saved to serve. We are freed to live a free life. But God has the jurisdiction of what that freedom looks like. He's given us things. He's given us a person in the Holy Spirit. And we have been freed to live a life for Him. And what does that look like? We've talked about a few things through Scripture. But I want you to see today that you've been freed to live transformed. To live a transformed life. And we'll get into that thought of, of the mind being renewed. But um, <clears throat> when I'm thinking about my own life for a moment, um, there have been things that's happened in my life that has really transformed me to, to live a, a little bit differently. Uh, one, one would be this, is that there was a time I was not married, and then I, I married the love of my life, and the one God wanted me to uh, um, glorify Him with and raise a family. There was some transformation in my life there. I, I, now, I, I was now in a, in a covenant relationship with, uh, with uh, a lady, that I, a woman that I can call my wife, and I love her. My life transformed some then. We had two boys, Henry and James. My life transformed again a little bit more. And, and, and that is all, all well. But, you know, the greatest transformation happened when you trusted Christ as your Savior. But that transformation leads to a transformed living. And that's the driving point of this message is that you are positionally transformed from a child of the devil to a child of God. And now we need to understand in being positioned as a child of God, my life should also reflect that new position in Jesus Christ. Is that easy? No, I'm not preaching an easy message. I'm preaching a needed message, okay? And thankful the Spirit allows us to live this out. I, I, I want us to, to know this, that, that our religion, Christianity, uh, is not something of just... Um, just a system of notions. It's not just something that I do 
It's not just, say, just a club I join. It's just sort of how I spend some of my time. It's, it's not those things. It, it, it is speaking to a life of, of, uh, a life of someone that they now have in Jesus Christ. It's not just a system of notions and things like that. Um, this is a practical, right? A fleshing out. It's a lived life for Christ. It's not just a... Uh, uh, you know, now I'm a Christian and I, c- I can wear that decal on my shirt, you know, or I can put that bumper sticker on my car. It's, it's not summed up in those things. It's summed up in a holy life lived for Jesus. It's about our life uh, for Him. And so it does begin at knowledge. And, and Jason led the devotional this one for Sunday school class. You know, it begins with a knowledge, right? And then it comes to our heart. But it don't even stop there. It goes to our extremities in this vessel that God has given us. Something, unfortunately, many of us as believers, sometimes we forget. But aren't you thankful for public worship and preaching and discipleship? We get a good reminder of who we are and what our lives should look like for the glory of God. Amen? And I speak to myself. So really the first point this morning, this you've been free to live a transformed life. Uh, why? Well... Point one, and probably the last point as well, we'll see, is that you have a duty to God. You have a duty to God. As, as, as we looked, I believe it was Romans chapter 8, Paul said, we are debtors to God. Again, not that he gave you a payment book and that you've got to make payments back for what he gave you, but in a sense, there is a motivation of debtedness. To the Lord for the greatness of the gospel that he's given us through his son Jesus Christ. But before we get into that, I, I want us to, to think about, if you look at verse 1. So you have a duty to God. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now I want you to stop for a second. It would be, it would be a huge flaw for us not to back up to the preface of this chapter, or an intro to this chapter, which is in the previous chapter, in chapter 11. Back up a little bit. Back up a little, get, a, a little bit. Notice what it says here. Uh, I think you can back, back up at least verse, 20, um, verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Talking about the gospel. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved by the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as, for as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. We'll explain that in just a minute. Even so have these also now been, excuse me, for, for so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And, or, who, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of whom and through him, I love this, and to him are all things to whom, uh, to whom be glory forever. Amen. 
I want you to understand real quick in this preface is this, is that the Jewish people, it talks about the, 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 the election or God's chosen people, dealing with this judicial hardening of God's chosen people, which were the Israel people. Uh, there, because of their hardening of their hearts and their rebellion, a constant rebellion, there was what's called a judicial hardening from the Lord. He temporarily hardened their heart and went to another. Folks, you are the other. You are the Gentile uh, people, uh, uh, if you're not you know, Jewish yourself. But all of us would be represented as a Gentile people. And he says here, this hardening has made room for me to reach out to all. As it says here, is that he wants to have, he wants to have mercy uh, upon all in verse 32. You look at verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I want you to understand why Paul is saying what he's saying. Because based on what he said in chapter 11, he's that the, the, the Israel people had placed him in the place of being judicially hardened and God reaching to a Gentile people. Now that wasn't the end of the Israeli people. God, it says that God would go and can graft them back in again. He has the power to do that and he does. But this was an opportunity. God reached out to the Gentile people. And so we find God's desire is to show mercy unto all. Unto all. Look at verse 36. All credit goes to God. Amen? All credit to the mercy that has been made available by God Himself is, is well, it's from God. And this is why verse 1 is read or written the way it's written. Paul could have said this I command you, therefore. But does he say that? No, he, he doesn't say, I command you. He says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. All right? So, folks, when I think about this, he's not saying I command. He's saying I beseech you. Beseech means to urge strongly, appeal to, urge, exhort, encourage. Folks, listen. Paul is talking about a motivation in chapter 11 that, that builds up the momentum to this beseeching or urging of chapter 12. There's no need for a command because of the abundant mercies of God. Folks, listen. Let me give you an illustration. I don't have to be commanded to love my children. I don't. Why? Because there is a loving motivation in me already to love them, serve them as a father, and be the father that they need right now. Amen? As long as God allows me to have them, is to love them in all the ways God tells me to love them. Maybe in a negative aspect, also in a positive aspect. I don't have to be commanded, right? Paul says there's no reason to give a command here. Because I just told you about God that has opened up mercy to all. Ain't that a great thing? He doesn't have to come and take a stick and whap you over the head with it. As a believer, he should not have to do that. Paul says, I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you. Why? By the mercies of God. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, folks. Wake up. Amen. I know, you've worked, I, I know you've worked hard, you're a little tired, but folks, we're worshiping God today. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. 
It's because of His mercy that He extended to all. That means us. Notice what He then will lead into in just a moment. But I want you to see that there is a call to action. And there's a motivation for this call to action. It's not that God has put money in your pocket. It's not because God has put clothes on your back. It's because that God, by no deserving on your part, has made grace and mercy available to you. And that is the my. If you don't get this part in verse 1, you will never be consistent or faithful in the rest of this chapter. You might as well not even read it. I want you to understand the motivation behind this. You think about athletics. You, you know, if, if, if a runner is going to flesh out his, the, the athletic part of him, right, and, and run the race, or her, whatever, and, and run the race, their heart, there has to be a motivation to get on the starting line and put, put every fiber of their muscle, I mean, all that they have into that race. There's got to be something worthy to... to Put yourself under that, that, that stress, right, to run that race, right? So, how many of you are hunters? Anybody? Oh, come on, men. You can't get the men to be, come on. Any, any, or women, anybody hunters, right? I know many of y'all, you, you, you like to eat the meat, right? You hunt because you like the meat. But, let's be honest, if it's a deer, you want that, you want that buck to have the biggest rack that there is, right? You, you want to take pictures and... Right, you you want to sh- show people, or if it's turkey hunting, you want you want it to have the biggest, you want it to have the, the the prettiest fan, you want it to have the biggest beard, and you want it to have the biggest spurs, and you like the meat, but man, you like that man, you like that reward too, that, that that other part of the reward. There's motivation to get up at the crack of dawn or before the crack of dawn and go out in the cold and get out there and y- your toes start to freeze off and all that good stuff. My wife always. Aggravate. She goes, "Why you're out there freezing yourself to so of the maybe the chance of killing a deer? I'll be warm in the bed." So you can, you can decide who's smart and who's not there. So. But there is, there is a motivation already in you to go to do that, right? Now, I'm not talking about hunting. I'm not talking about athletics. I'm talking about things that have heavenly reward. I'm talking about the things that are eternal. And Paul said, what I'm getting ready to urge you to do is this. Uh, what I'm going to urge you to do has a great motivation. And it's the mercies of God that you've been, been made available to you. So let's look at it. Let's look at it in verse 1. Notice what he says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So this is a personal call to action, right? You present you to God. Amen? Now that already, that already uh, pulls up a, a lot of things that wants to pull you away from doing such things. That's why Paul led with the motivation. So that when life begins to deter you away from what he's calling you to do, that you go back to why you're doing it, right? We love God because he first loved us, his initiation to loving us. A living sacrifice. This is, this is alluding back to the sacrifice under the law. You go back in the Old Testament and you'll learn that a person, you know, this, this annual uh, um, sacrifice of atonement, they would bring a lamb, or, or, or you know, accordingly, be a dove, a lamb. Whatever. They would bring it to the priest, and they would present their lamb. They would present their sacrifice. It would be examined, and it would be either rejected or accepted on behalf of their sins. This would happen every year, and so they had to present their own. 
Okay? And they, the, the priest would go and he would, he would, he would uh, uh, um, uh, kill that animal and it would be a blood sacrifice for the uh, partial atonement or atonement of, of the person until it, had ha- until it had to happen again the following year. They had to present that. So here's the, here's the unique thing though. Then it was once that sacrifice was dead, it wasn't coming off the altar, was it? No. Once that priest took the life of that animal, that animal is there. It's, it's not coming off the altar. And here is, here is why Paul is beseeching us so strongly. It's because you're not a dead sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice. Now, if all that priest did was put that lamb up there alive and just let him sit there, what's that lamb going to do? I'm gone. You know, I'm out of here. I'm going to run off the altar. And here's the, here's the, the sad thing. Sometimes Christians have an inclination, you know, I'm just going to come off this altar. I'm just going to, I'm not going to really present my life to the Lord and sacrificially live for Him. I'm going to run off the altar. And that happens. That's probably happened to every one of us here today in some shape, form, or fashion. But do you know why that happened? It's because you forgot about the mercies of God. You forgot about the grace of God. You forgot about the goodness of God. You forgot what all that God has done for you through the vicarious death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And the Spirit has the one, is the one who's separated us, right, for the Lord. To present our whole self. This isn't like, okay... I'm gonna just. I'm just gonna live sacrificially in this category and that category, but I'm gonna reserve the rest of my life for me. Did, did Christ do that? No, He brought His entire self as a sacrifice for us. Amen. And if we're gonna be Christian or Christ-like, we must bring our whole self, our bodies. To be a living sacrifice for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, your spirit, your body belongs to God. But how many of us live in such a way where that is fleshed out? Would everybody, would everybody in this community know that, hey, they belong to God just by looking at your life? Being a living sacrifice is, is taking what's on the inside and letting it come out. It's letting this body be under subjection. It's talking about the full person. It's talking about your performances, your devotion through your body to God. And folks, it's not really rocket science this morning to know, did I just use my body for the glory of God? Or did I just use my body to glorify myself? Was I just serving myself or was I serving Christ? Was I worshiping myself or was I worshiping God? Was I just worshiping my children or was I worshiping God? Am I worshiping my career or am I, I mean, we could go on and on and on all day. Sacrificing a living sacrifice is you living through this vessel as a vessel of honor, not dishonor. A living, it's you, and folks, this isn't, this isn't easy, but you can because you've been transformed. We must put our flesh on the altar every 
morning. Amen? And guess what? Keep it there. This isn't like hop up on the altar for God and ten minutes hop back off again. No. You look at the Old Testament, when that animal was there, it was there. But you're a living, Christ is in you, you're living, you're living each and every day. You go to school, you go to work, you, you travel, whatever. You're, you're living. So we must, as living people, put ourselves on the altar, so to speak, and remain there. There's no great uh, victory to getting on the altar. The great victory is staying there for Jesus. Did Christ come off the cross for himself? When they said, well, save yourself, right? Did he do that? No, he stayed by the power of the Father there. And we also can stay on the altar for the glory of God. Galatians 2.20 For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, there's no greater motivation than the work of Christ for us to be a living sacrifice. He also goes on to say not just that, but holiness. Holiness. You would be greatly deceived today to think that holy living and sacrificial living just begins at the heart and ends at the heart. But it don't. It doesn't begin at the heart and end at the heart. It begins at the heart and continues on in the flesh. It's it's here and it goes out through your extremities using your body for the glory of God. But he says be holy. We know that this is talking about the soul, right? Properly, it's talking about the soul. But we find that your Paul is driving that this holiness is about your life. Do you know what many people focus more on than holiness? It's living for my definition of happiness. But happiness doesn't always, at least according to you or your flesh, will not always and quite often not take you to a life that glorifies God. Amen? It does not say, God, I love you. Actually, you, have, you pack around a mirror and say, a mirror and say oh, I love you. That, that's, what, that's what your definition of happiness But. But, dear friend, happiness for a Christian would be living holy. That means to live separate. Young people, you know what that means? That means not being like maybe what your friends do. Amen? The things they get, try to get you to take, the words they try to get you to say. Right? Even the things they try to get you to listen to. Holiness, dear young person, means that your actions, what you say, what you look at, what you put in your body is all glorifying Jesus Christ. But there are quote-unquote friends out there, even classmates today, that will do nothing more than, than, than destroy the holiness that's in your life. But if you're a young person today and you trusted Jesus as Savior, your body itself belongs to Jesus, not to that friend. Dear young person, let me submit this to you, and I'll submit this to everybody. For someone to be a true friend is for someone that helps you live closer to Jesus. Amen? That's a friend. A friend is someone who actually will bring a wound into your life that puts you on the right track. The wounds of a friend the Bible talks about. 
So I want you to know that. The mercies of God are wonderful, but it leads us to live holy. Running this race of holiness and sacrifice depends where the heart is placed. And place our heart where we focus on the mercies and grace of God. He gives us some motivations here. One, of course, consider God's mercies. Let me give you another verse talking about God's mercies today. Lamentations 3.22. You probably could quote this today. Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. When you think about taking yourself off the altar, when, when, you, when you begin to divert away from holy living, just remember that if it was not for the mercies of God, your life would be consumed. There would not be another available uh, amount of oxygen for you to inhale. Amen? Your body would not function today as it should. We're talking about the mercies of God. We're talking about the compassions of God. You think about your own health today. And even if you say, well, I'm going through a lot, but there's some things you're not going through. Can I get a witness? I, I want you to understand that, that Paul has given us some motivations here to live sacrificially and to live holy, which he says is acceptable to God and is our reasonable service. Listen to me. This merciful God, this compassionate God is the one Paul is saying, live sacrificially for. Amen? He's not saying live sacrificially and holy to someone that doesn't care about you, that doesn't love you, who doesn't care for you and protect you. Amen? Is always there for you. You know, he's talking about a loving, compassionate father. And for the believer, he's coming back for you. Amen? He's coming back for you. So there's great motivation there's transformation here in Christ. And notice this as we segue here. He says, as your reasonable service, listen to me. There is no good reason to be against what Paul is urging you to do. There's no good reason not to follow through with this kind of life in service to the Lord. And really, when he says acceptable to God, our life is... We, we should look for nothing more to make God happy than this. To present ourselves acceptable to Him. Christ came, born, lived, died, and presented Himself acceptable by the Father. The Father says, in other words, He approved of what Christ did. And hey, long story short, there is grace to those who will seek Him. And they can be born again. Let us today, as in loving Christ, let us present ourselves acceptable to God. But how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, notice in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, did you see that? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't say, here is what I want you to do, and then doesn't give us the enablement to do it. But he says, here is how you can do it. And Christ, hey, listen, if Christ 
understands this. If he understands anything, he understands this. That there is a host of enemies out there. There's a host of distractions. There's a host of many other things that will try to persuade you off the altar of sacrifice. They will try to persuade you and entice you away from the life of holiness. And so he says, listen, dear Christian, you've been freed in Christ. You've been freed and your mind's been freed. You can be transformed to live this way every day. More transformed, more conformed. But here's what it takes. It takes the renewing of your mind. Isn't it fun to see things transformed? Anybody watch Fixer Upper? Y'all can be honest. Yeah. All you HGTV uh, fans out there, right? Nobody's honest this morning. You got one honest lady in the house. I think it's exciting. Of course, we watch Fixer Upper a lot, and and, uh, it's always that that final moment, right? And they've got this big, big, big banner, this big canvas of what the house did look like, and it's on on, on a frame and and, and wheels. And it's, are you ready to see your... Oh, now there's some more honesty. Now we know who you are. <clears throat> and what do they do? They pull those two halves apart and, <gasps> I can't believe it. You know, there's the transformation, right? But there was certain work. There was certain application that the crew had to do to bring that tra- transformation for that house, right? What about those that, uh, anybody watch, uh, uh, what is it, The Biggest Loser? And this was dealing with weight, I think. Ain't nobody going to watch that, right? But uh, these people would come and they're wanting, wanting to lose weight and it's a competition or whatever. And going to the very end of it, someone that, you know, weighs such and such was nowhere near that weight at the end of it. There's a huge transformation in their life. There was certain disciplines. There was certain work that had to be done to have that final result. Now listen, listen. Christ has done the work to position you to live a transformed life. He's done the work to that, to that, in that context. But listen. You also have to apply yourself in this transformed living. And here's what Paul is saying. You need to renew your mind. To me, that's not work. But it is It is taking my mind and placing it where it needs to be in order to live transformed for God. It's transformed. Also, I think about an illustration I think about a caterpillar. What happens to a caterpillar eventually? Turns into a what? Butterfly. Complete transformation, right? And, and folks, can I tell you something? Your kids need to see you, parent, mom, and dad, live transformed. You may be positioned in Christ, but they want to see that in your speech. They want to see that in your love for one another. They want to see that when you come to worship. Right? They, they want to see that when they wake up and you're still there loving them and not out loving yourself. Living a transformed life. And he says, brethren, it is you must renew your mind. Renew your mind. What you do has a beginning place. It begins here. It's what your mind's set on. Have you heard this phrase? You can do what you set your mind to do. Mind's a powerful thing. So what you put there is a powerful tool to direct this, this vessel in a particular direction. And what does our families in Russell County and this world need? A bunch of vessels living for whose glory? 
God's glory and not our own. There is, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Paul is saying, listen, I understand there's an enemy there. There is your, you know, other interest. This flesh would want you to spend your time, your money, and even waste your family for it. I get it. I get it. But listen, for you to push that aside is going to take a work more than what flesh can do. It's going to take a work that someone did, for us today at least, over 2,000 years ago to set your mind on that work. That's the power you need to live the transformed life that you've been positioned to live for God. Amen? It's a work that's been divine, that, that's etern- that, that Christ has done. And it's an amazing thing when a Christian puts his or her mind focused on on the, on the divine work of Jesus Christ. You have, be, you have men that surrender to preach the gospel. You, you have church members that chooses to be faithful and not run off from the Lord. Amen. Uh, you, you, have, you, you have people that surrender to the mission work. You, you have parents that wake up every day and say, I'm going to live for Christ for my family today. How does all of that continue in people's lives? It's not because that they're just powerful in and of themselves. It's because they've surrendered their mind to the power of the gospel. Amen? The gospel is what freed you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But placing your mind and let it be renewed each and every day by looking back to what the gospel did for you allows you to live transformed today. The gospel is what you need every day. Not just when you trusted Christ, but you need your your mind and heart renewed. Renewed on what? What object can renew me? It's a person. And his name is what, church? Jesus Christ. Dear friend, I want you to know that you don't have to be conformed to this world. You let this world shape you, it will leave you. You let it fill you, it's actually emptying you. But if you allow yourself to be renewed and filled by Christ, He will leave you satisfied and with purpose that's worth living for. Amen? Are you, does that make sense? It's a glorious thing, but Paul said, Paul said listen, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Your wife or your husband's going to say something to you that you don't want to live for Jesus right then. You want to live for yourself for a moment. Or there's going to be a friend that's going to make fun of you or your mom or whatever at school and you want to just let them have it. Or someone's going to make fun of your faith tomorrow at work and you want to get in the flesh and just you know, defend God. But dear friend, the way that we live for God is be surrendered to Him. How do we surrender to Him? Be renewed by looking back to Him. So how much... Of your life? How much are you living renewed? How much are you living transformed? It all boils down to how much you are looking to Jesus. Amen? So dear believer, I want to challenge you this morning. If your mind and heart is looking more to other things than Jesus, you are not. I guarantee you're not living sacrificially. And you're definitely not living... A holy life. But are we motivated to live sacrificially and live holy? Yes. By what? The mercies of God. The grace 
of God. And He is the God of all grace. And the Bible says His mercies are new every day. So you know what God has done for me? He has supplied me with motivation every day of my life and actually eternity. Because when we get to heaven, guess who this guy is going to be worshiping for eternity? God! What will I be worshiping Him for? His mercies and His grace. Amen. Dear Christian, if you want your worship to be what, God, what, what it should be, Take your heart and mind back to Calvary. Parent, you want to be the parent your children need? Please take your mind and heart back to Calvary. As I told you last week, one of the Puritan devotions, he said this, and I'll never forget it. God, just take me to Calvary and leave me there. So my mind will be fixed on what you did for me. Maybe you need to be in this altar. Sister Arbor, the mic, you come. Maybe you need to be on this altar and say, God, my mind gets distracted so much. God, I'm going through this, and all my mind wants to do is think on that bad thing. God, this person hurt me, and all I want to think about is the pain that this person has put into my life. Folks, I can't help you get rid of that. I can't help you live through that. But there's someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Say, well, how do I do that? What what is that? Bring your heart and mind back to Him. You may belong to Him as a child of God. But have you given Him your mind? Oh, the power of surrendering your mind. Say, God, here it is today. Here's my mind. It's on you. For a mind to be focused on Him is a life to be lived for Him. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment.